This morning we're going to look at a passage in Isaiah chapter 58. And I just want to give you a little context about uh, what we're talking about here today. Isaiah is writing in a time of captivity and he's writing for a hopeful time of what will happen after captivity, the Babylonian captivity of the Israelites. And so he's talking in the scripture about a fast. This chapter here, he's talking about a fast. And a fast, really, this was significant. Uh, this, this chapter is significant of the Lord speaking to the people of Israel because it was a fast that was going to lead them on a road to repentance, a road of repentance that would uh, hopefully lead them away from the strong hand of Babylon and the captivity they were in. And so there's some words in there about fasting and some great things that we can learn about fasting, but we're not going to talk about fasting today. We're going to talk about a few other things that uh, the Lord speaks to the people of Israelites, to the Israelites through this uh, encounter here. And he talks here in verse nine that we're going to read here and says this, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. What a word of promise to us and what a word of promise before we get into any of this else that we're going to talk about today, that before we go any further, that you and I have the assurance today that when we lift up our voices to the Lord, the Lord promises to hear us. And so he says, if you remove the yoke from among you, now he's not talking about an egg yoke here, by the way, he's talking about a yoke that would have been put upon the necks of two animals, like two donkeys, to keep them tied together and keep them being able to control them. But he says, if you remove the yoke from among you, and really maybe uh, to kind of make this a little plainer, he's, maybe it should say, if you remove the burden that is from among you. And so what is the burden that he's talking about? He says it's this, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins, they shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. This is what I want to talk to you about today is the repairer of the breach, repairer of the breach. Isaiah uses a term here that uh, for us in our world today, it has little significance. But to the Israelites, oh, what a word, what a strong word it was for them. And Isaiah is not the only one. The prophets had a tendency to refer to this word, uh, to this concept, repairing the breach. Ezekiel talks about it in Ezekiel 22. He calls it standing in the gap where there is a place in the walls of Jerusalem, where there is an opening, really for any city for that matter, where there is a place that there for some reason there's maybe deterioration over time, erosion from weather, whatever it may have been, there's a place, if you could think about maybe one of these walls in this building, that a hole has started to emerge. And from that hole, what happens is, is it becomes a place of, of vulnerability, in defense. 
And so in ancient Israel, walls were absolutely important for defense. This is why Nehemiah, when he was going about his day-to-day work uh, among the king of, during captivity, during the time of captivity, and he heard that the walls of Jerusalem laid in ruin, it bothered him that he began to weep, the Bible says. He was so distraught because of the condition. Because Nehemiah realized and he lamented the fact that when there are no walls, there is susceptibility to, there's a vulnerability to attack and ransacking. And when there is no defense, anybody can go in the city, help themselves, any enemy can go in and get whatever they want. And so a breach was an opening in the wall. We use that word today perhaps more in the terms of military, a breach, making an opening, making a place where there can be a way through. But in the biblical concept, a breach was never a good thing. It was always a sign that something bad is imminent. When there is not a, when there is not a place for wholeness, when there is not a place where the wall is built with strength, then there could be attack soon coming for them. And so we see this picture throughout Isaiah, we see it in Ezekiel, we see it through old, old, other Old Testament stories that when there is a breach in the wall, there is danger up ahead. And so Nehemiah actually, the Bible says that when the enemies heard that they began to build up the walls around the, Jerusalem once again, the Bible says they did this. And just to show you how significant a wall was, the Bible says that they took a sword in one hand and they took a trowel in another. So while they were building the wall, they had a weapon in their other hand so that the moment an enemy came in to de- attack them, they could immediately defend themselves because the wall was yet to be in place. And when Ezekiel talks about a gap in the wall, the Bible says that the Lord was lamenting himself because there was no one to stand in the gap. There was no one to breach the place of sin. And so oftentimes when a breach is referenced in the scripture, although it's talking about an opening in the wall, it's usually a metaphor for a bigger picture of sin. Sin that has caused a severed relationship between one another and or God. And so this is why Isaiah begins to tell them some words of importance about their interminglings among one another from the Lord and tells them that if they will do these things, then they will become repairer of the breach. And he goes on to say the restorer of the streets to dwell in. A picture of peace, a picture of something good to come, a picture of living in a place of calm. We don't have to worry about attack because the breaches have been sealed up. We don't have to worry about how we're going to get around. The streets have been restored. Life is back to ease once again. And so Isaiah begins to tell them a few things that we're going to talk about this morning. But before we do that, we're going to look at a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To help us understand this picture of repairing the breach a little better, there is this New Testament picture of what it means to repair a breach. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 14, he says it this way, the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. And we're going to skip to verse 16 or rather 18, I'm sorry. 
All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. This is important that we remember that we see this here. The Bible says that God was not counting their trespasses against them. And instead, he entrusted the message of reconciliation to us. So he calls them, we are ambassadors of Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. So the Bible talks about this big word here, and he calls us ambassadors for Christ and says we've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. So we have to ask the question, what is the message of reconciliation? The message of reconciliation is this, is that Jesus Christ is the way to bring peace between the gap, the breach that was brought between, because of sin between you, and, between you and I and God. So therefore, Jesus is the way to bring that gap to a close and heal that. He is the message of reconciliation through him. But that message goes even further and he says that we have also, he has reconciled himself through Christ and he's given it to us, reconciling the world to himself. So not only are you and I being reconciled to God, but the Bible says that this ministry of reconciliation is given so that we might be reconciled with one another. So that if there is a breach in between us, if there's a gap, if there's a place of weakness and vulnerability in relationships in the church that you and I, we are ambassadors of Christ. We have been entrusted with that message of love to bring that gap to a close and get rid of that thing, whatever it might be that is between us. And so this picture of being an ambassador of Christ and be seeing a breach is this. The act of ongoing love as believers is working to repair the breach with one another. Jesus says this is the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so if we're going to love our neighbor as ourself, it's not just something we can say in words. It's something that we must do all the time, working continually, giving love. We are called to keep working at love. It's not enough to just say, I love you, but we must also keep working to love one another in forgiveness and embracing, letting go of things and bringing healing between one another. This is the picture of the church of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the world will know that we are his disciples by how we love one another. And if that's the case, then that means that you and I have to work hard and keep working at repairing the breach. Repairing the breach. Whatever it is that might be coming in between us, whatever it might be between you and another brother or sister or family member or co-worker, the Bible calls us to actively work to repair the breach. Now, I know that there might be a mindset to say, well, they did me wrong, so I'll just let them go on and we're never going to talk again. But listen, that's not a biblical picture of what reconciliation is supposed to be. The Bible says it's an act of ongoing love, that we are called to repair the breach, not let it be. Because you'll notice that Isaiah calls it this thing. To give you a better understanding of this, he calls it a yoke. And in biblical times, in Old Testament time, a yoke was always a picture of an unnecessary burden that was placed on the shoulders of people. 
It was a burden that didn't have to be there. It was a burden that people chose to take upon themselves, but they didn't have to take. And listen, after you've carried for some weight for a while, you know it's exhausting. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but maybe you're walking through an airport, walking down a street, and you're carrying a backpack on your shoulder. And when you left your house, you thought when you started out, this isn't too bad, but after you go for some time, or may, as I've discovered with uh, my young daughter who's uh, getting close to 25 pounds now, after 10 minutes, that's no problem, but 20 minutes, 30 minutes, my arms start to get a little weak. And that's, that's, the, that's the picture of a burden that Isaiah is trying to paint. It starts out, yeah, like, no, there's no problem here. But over time, that thing becomes heavier and heavier and heavier. And then you realize at some point that you have to repair the breach in order to go on. And so this is the picture I want you to see in the breach. When there is an opening in the wall, when there is a place in the defenses of Jerusalem and the defenses of the picture that they were living in, one of the greatest devices of Satan is offense. Offense. When someone offends me, when someone hurts me, when someone gets at me, it hurts us. We want to dwell in that pain. We want to hold on to it and say, oh, this just is just I, I'm in my, in my own right. I'm going to be angry and it's okay. I can be angry. But listen, one of the greatest devices of Satan is offense. And when someone offends us and we have allowed that to divide us, what we have done is we have allowed ourselves to be used as a tool of Satan. That opening in the wall, that place where the bricks are missing, what happens is, is then the whole town becomes susceptible to attack. When there is one place of vulnerability and we're not actively working to repair the breach, then that whole town becomes susceptible to the enemy coming in and ravaging people everywhere. And so this is why the picture of Christ's love must be ambassadors. The ambassador is not somebody who waits for people to come to me and make things right. An ambassador is somebody who gets on a plane, lands in another country and says, listen, I'm here to make a deal. I'm here to work out a treaty. We've got some things we need to work out. And that's the picture that Paul is trying to paint, that an ambassador is someone who goes and works for love's sake, doesn't wait for love to come and work for them. And when there is a place of vulnerability, we must remember today, and this is the greatest thing I could ever say to church matters, church ministry, as a pastor, as people, as someone who loves people and wants to see people thrive. This is the thing we all have to remember today. The Bible says this, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I want you to remember this today. Our struggle is not with one another. Listen, you are not my enemy, and I'm not your enemy. The person that hurt you, they're not your enemy. The person that offended you, they're not your enemy either. The person who your enemy is, the Bible says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. You want to know who the enemy is? The enemy is Satan. And he alone is the enemy. Every person here today was created in the image of God. And so when we begin to look at one another as enemies and we begin to see someone who was created in the image of God as my enemy, do you imagine how distorted that is to the Lord? When we begin to see each other who were created in the image of God as enemies, that's, that's a messed up picture of the love of Christ. If we were created in the image of God, created and bought with a price, then that must mean that we are not each other's enemies, that we are called to love one another. Our struggle is not with one another. It's with the enemy. 
As a church, especially, we are called to embrace and love one another despite our differences, despite culture, race, background, political affiliation, all of those things are secondary to the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus is our first identification. We are ambassadors of Christ. I'm not an ambassador of culture. I'm not an ambassador of this opinion or that opinion. I'm an ambassador of Christ. And so therefore, we must work to love one another more than anything else. Go above and beyond. I don't care what society says. Society has so many opinions. But Listen, the Bible says we have been entrusted. God has placed the trowel in our hand to get to work and repair the breach. So are we going to do it? Are we going to work to repair the breach? Don't worry about dwelling in offense and dwelling in hurt. Jesus can heal that thing. If you will entrust it to the Lord and allow God to work it out, God can take care of that thing. God will ultimately, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God will have a day where we will all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And what we will be measured by is how we loved the Lord and loved one another. And so we must actively work to repair the breach. For the sake of the believers around you, for the sake of the body of Christ, work to heal any severed relationships the thing about repairing a breach is that it allows the enemy when it's kept open it allows the enemy to enter in and attack and bring about great harm that we couldn't imagine but when you and I say more than anything Jesus is love he came the Bible says there in 2nd Corinthians 5 that he came he making his appeal through us and listen, the appeal through us is not anger. The appeal through us is not bitterness. It's not rage. It's not unforgiveness. The appeal through us is forgiveness. It's love. It's mercy. It's grace. That's the appeal of Jesus. That's what he did for you and I. And if that's his appeal through us, then we have to, what Isaiah says, remove the burden from among you. Get rid of that thing, Isaiah says. Get, take that thing and point it out of there. And so he goes and he tells them, here, remove this burden from among you. The pointing of the finger. Now listen, Americans are great at pointing the finger. We would rather blame somebody else than take responsibility comparative to other cultures around the world. That's just the way Americans are. I don't know why. But listen, that's not a biblical picture. The Bible does not say that you and I are in our right, even if someone does us harm, to say it was their fault. It's their problem. It's not my problem. It's their problem. It's the pointing of the finger. It's constantly looking for something else to critique in someone else and blame them for instead of first taking what Jesus says and looking at the log that's hanging out of our own eye. It's constantly pointing and saying, how can I judge? How can I condemn? How can I point down? You see how this begins to, to go downhill? It begins to become what the enemy does. It's condemnation. It's putting down. And that is not what God has called us to do. For the Bible says that God did not give us the spirit of condemnation. He set us free from that. And so Jesus' method isn't this. Three strikes and you're out. That's not Jesus' method. That's baseball's method. Leave it at baseball. The Bible says this in Matthew 
That when he's, he's working through how to heal relationships and talking about taking care of problems within the church and healing or reconciliation and relationships in Matthew 16, the Bible says, how many, or Peter, after giving that whole story, that you're going to talk to the brother, work it out, then if not, bring them before the church. After that whole story, Peter stands up in his audacity. And, you know, Peter, he just speaks his mind. I love that about him. And he says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? How many times should we go through this process? How many times, Jesus? And you know what Jesus said? Do it 70 times 7. As if Peter could calculate that right there, then and there, in his mind, and try to imagine how many times that was. It was not an exact number. It was a figurative picture of the forgiveness that you and I are supposed to offer. If we are ambassadors of Christ... The Bible doesn't say that that role comes to an end when someone hurts us or does us wrong. God is continually making his appeal through us until the day we die. And if that's the case, then 70 times 7 and beyond is well what we will take to make it until the end with forgiveness. It is continually learning to love. It is continually learning to embrace one another. Jesus' method, as we said, isn't three strikes and you're out. His method is keep striking and I'll keep forgiving. His method is keep doing me wrong and I'm going to keep loving you. His method is keep hurting me and watch me. I'm going to cover you with love like that covers a multitude of sins. And aren't you grateful today that Jesus did that for you and I while we were sinners? We were blaming him, pushing all our accusations against him, cursing the Lord in our sins and all the things that we, but God still loved us. That's great forgiveness. And that same forgiveness, if God was willing it to offer it to you and I, then you and I have to offer it to one another. That's absolutely, if Jesus came and died upon a cross, spread his arms upon that cross, blood shed there for us, then the least that we could do is forgive one another. The least we could do is forgive. Put away. Put away the pointing of the finger. And this, this, is, this isn't just the picture of this local body. This is the greater body of Christ. There, maybe there's someone in your life today that you've been holding on to unforgiveness for a long time. And you just think because they're not in my life, then it's not a problem. But listen here today. That's not the picture of Jesus. The picture of Jesus is get on that plane, land in that country, and make a treaty. Learn to forgive even when it isn't easy. How many times do I forgive? Seventy times seven. Keep on forgiving. It's in, in the grand picture of eternity. Seventy times seven is a tiny number. It's a little number to all the forgiveness that God is offering to us and the great joys that we will have standing before the Lord for all of eternity. So put away you and I, we have to work hard at this. Put away the pointing of the finger. Yeah, we could blame each other. We could say it's, they messed up. They did that. They hurt. Listen, that's little. That's, that's, that's petty stuff. In the kingdom of God, that's petty. But God's love, oh, it's so amazing. All that pettiness. Who would want to live in years and years of hurt when you could dwell in the wonderful goodness of God's love, knowing there is forgiveness and mercy here for this person? Who would want to dwell in that place of unforgiveness and bitterness and stay all mean and angry all your life when you could just dwell in the sweet goodness of God's presence resting in you, working through you, ministering through you? Isn't that a testimony of God's power more than holding on to unforgiveness, bitterness, rage, all of those things, it's a nothing to the Lord. God can use us in great and mighty ways. So let's put away the pointing of the finger. 
The second thing he says is he says he calls them to do this. Remove the burden from among you. It's the pointing of the finger and it's the speaking of evil. Oh, this is a hard one. It's easy to speak evil. It's easy to open up our mouth when no one is present and speak evil. That's easy to do because no one is there and we think our words are without accountability and we can just say what we want. But Isaiah says that if you do this, there are some great blessings that will come and you shall be called a repairer of the breach. One of the ways that a breach can form is from a fence. And one of the things that happens from that offense is oftentimes a pointing of the finger and speaking of evil. When someone offends us, our immediate reaction, human instinct, the flesh talking here, is usually to talk bad about that person. Well, that person did me angry and just grunt about it, doing dishes and scrubbing hard and just... But listen, that's the speaking of evil. And the Bible says that how can out of the same fountain flow fresh and bitter water out of the fountain that of our lips is supposed to be life and if we're going to be ambassadors of Christ that means that when you are going to make a plea for somebody listen you'll notice something about ambassadors if you watch uh, world affairs and things that are happening they are very careful they don't speak bad words about another country because they know they speak a bad word about another country that could mean war and so there's a carefulness but you and I we have to go further that even when no one is present when we see no one is looking, it's even in those moments that our words are held to accountability. For the Bible says that every idle word will be held accountable and will be brought before judgment. So our words are held accountable. So even when no one is looking, it's still the speaking of evil. It's kind of like the metaphor that somebody says, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make any sound? You better believe it makes sound. No one was there to hear it, but it made some sound. And it's the same thing in our lives when no one is present and we're speaking evil. That doesn't change the fact it's still evil. It's still wrong before the Lord. And it's important for us that we put away the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil. And listen, this goes further than this. This is, goes further than this because what happens with speaking of evil is it leads to disunity. It leads to division. And as someone once told me one time, the body of Christ has already been broken once. It doesn't need to be broken again. Disunity is contrary to the purpose of God for the church. And we know this because you read Acts chapter 2, and the Bible says they were in one mind, one accord, and the next thing we see happen is a glorious blessing fall upon the church. People who had never heard the gospel before heard the gospel. People who had never came to Jesus, 3,000 were added that day. And it shows us the beautiful picture of what happens when God's blessing comes upon unity. A divided church is a defeated church, but a unified church is a victorious church. And that's the church that can dwell in the blessing of God. And that's the church that can experience the power and workings of God, signs and wonders moving among us in unbelievable ways. Why? Because Jesus' love is more important than my offense. Jesus' love is more important than how I'm right or wrong. Jesus' love is greater than my unforgiveness. And when it's all put upon Jesus' love, the attention, the priority is upon the love of Jesus. There is something that happens when the focus is upon Jesus' love 
love, what happens in turn is Jesus' love is sensed among the people. And it brings us together. Today, we have to be careful in our world today. Don't speak bad about somebody. Just don't do it. You and I, this is a word I'm speaking to myself today. Charlie, make a note. Don't speak bad about people. Don't speak bad about another denomination because you don't agree with them. Don't speak bad about a pastor because you see him do something wrong and so and so and blame. No, don't speak bad about a brother or sister because they didn't say hello to you. No, listen, those are futile things to the blessing of God that can come when there is a unity among us. A unified church is a victorious church. So Isaiah goes on and he says this, take away the burden, remove the yoke, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil. And then watch what he says. If you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. Isn't this an amazing picture of what happens when the pointing of the finger is put away, the speaking of evil, and it's simply a picture of this, when we love to le learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Isaiah says here, and it's the greater picture of the New Testament, that when we love people, when we embrace people, bigger than our, greater than our pettiness and problems that come in between us, the Bible says that then your light shall rise in the darkness. Listen, God is not going to lift up division. God is not going to bless division. What God is going to bless is love. When we love him with all of our heart and love one another. And in that place, God promises light shall rise in the darkness. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That in a world that is divided over all so a plethora of things, of issues and situations, that in the middle of that, a church that learns to love. There is a promise. You have, shall have a light that shall rise in the darkness. And your gloom, it's going to be like the bright sun at the noonday. It's not even going to be there anymore. Isn't that what God wants for us? Psalm 133 says it this way. One of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. He says it this way. How very good and pleasant, as the musicians come, how very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron. Now, you and I read that today and you think, honestly, that sounds kind of gross. Like, that doesn't sound like a pretty picture of unity. Oh, but what a blessing it was. Because when the oil was poured on the, the priest's head, it was a sign of anointing. It was a sign of blessing. And so when the oil came, it was a sign of God's affirmation coming down upon them. God's blessing falling down upon them. He goes on to say that it's running down all over the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. And oh, how we know the importance of dew. It waters the grass. It causes life to come. And the Bible says this beautiful scripture, and I hope you'll take this with you home today. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. You want to see God's blessing come? It's right here. Dwell together in unity. You want to see the Lord pour out like oil from heaven, running down like a refreshing rain coming from the heavens? Dwell together in unity. It's the God's power working amongst us. And it's the beautiful picture of the body of Christ that here we come from so many different walks of life. 
so many different nationalities and cultures and languages and races and socioeconomic statuses. But the picture of the body of Christ is this, that Jesus' love heals us, restores us, and it's the ministry of reconciliation that while at one time we might have been separated from one another, we might have been divided, now we've been adopted into the family of God. And more than anything, greater than anything, is the love that's at work among us from the Lord. And there God promises His blessing and life forevermore. I don't know about you, but I read a scripture like that and I say, oh God, let it be so. I want the blessing of the Lord. I want God to work in such a dynamite way among us, powerful way among us, not just here, but all across the body of Christ, all over the peninsula, all over the world. And it happens when God's people dwell together in unity. One mind, one accord, like tongues like fire fell upon them. Blessing, 3,000 added to the number that day. God came and did a wonderful work. Will you stand with me this morning? This morning, God's called us to be a repairer of the breach. You see a hole in the wall? I want to encourage you today. Pray and ask the Lord, how can I fix that? How can I go and love? How can I go and mend? How can I be forgiving and kind? How can I take the message of love and bring a healing to that place? And so this morning, I just want to encourage you today. If you want to come this morning and pray, you want to seek, uh, let go of some unforgiveness today. Let go of some bitterness. Let go of some hurt, some anger, whatever it might be. Can I just encourage you? Would you just come stand here at the front? Oh, people will do us wrong all the days of our lives. That's just the way humanity is. But oh, how the mercy of Jesus is wonderful. God wants us to be repairers of the breach. So Lord, this morning we come to you today, God. We want your forgiveness, Lord. Father, forgive us of our sins as we also forgive those who have sinned against us today, God. Oh, Lord Jesus, God, help us to be a repairer of the breach, Lord. You came and gave us the ministry of reconciliation to heal up the place of sin that divides us. So now, Lord, help us in even a greater way to work, Lord, with love, loving one another, forgiving one another, sending help to one another, lifting up each other in prayer. Help us to embrace this morning one another today. And God, we thank you today for forgiveness. We thank you, Jesus, today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you need to ask the Lord this morning, God, how do I forgive today? How do I forgive my offender today? God, help me today. Let go of that. Don't dwell in unforgiveness. Don't dwell in bitterness. Dwell in the place of unity. Seek the Lord this morning. Ask Him today. You need prayer. Come, please come this morning. We want to pray with you. Oh, what a great act of prayer. Unity when we pray one for another.